welcome to a Brit-tastic edition of ARG Presents. Why is it Brit-tastic, you ask? Well, you'll find out. I'll let the Brit give you the full <laughs> scoop. Because here he is, everyone. It's the Brit. They, 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 I was here the whole time. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, right, I keep this, this is a, a special episode for me. I got to pick both games. Uh, and in doing so, I'm hoping to shed some light on an underappreciated uh, system and game, as well as take a look at a game that, in all honesty, I'm not particularly fond of, but holds a, an important place in gaming history. You're not fond now, of the Aaron, game you chose? Say again? You're not fond of the game that you chose? Well, there's reasons. There's reasons, and, I, and I'll get into that. But Aaron, before we talk about me, let's talk about me. I have been a gamer for how long now? Pretty much all my life. That's right. And and during that time, I have definitely uh, played my fair share of games, cutting my teeth on things like uh, the the uh, the Coco and the TRS-80 and the uh, Nintendo and the console side of things. I've really bounced back and forth with gaming for years and years and years, decades even, and. Through my time, it, I'm still uh, surprised pleasantly at all of the new and exciting games that are out there from the past that I haven't had a chance to play. Uh-huh. Uh, I found one of them this week, and I wanted to present it to everyone. And then I wanted to also highlight a, a special game that kind of combines two of my hobbies into one. And I think, Aaron, and I, I think you'll agree with this... With my diverse history of gaming, I would say I'm a pretty I'm a pretty fair shake when it comes to games, right? I, I think I can see the positives and negatives of most games. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yes, I would. <laughs> I mean, let's glorify Brett. He's good at games. I know. Good picking at games. Good at playing games. All hail well, Brett. Well, thank you, Aaron. I, I appreciate your enthusiasm in this very Brent-focused episode. Yeah. Uh, on top of, of playing a lot of games and and uh, finding the history of a lot of games, I'm also very good at games. Uh, I will have to say, I was better at games 15 years ago than I am now. Uh, my my button pressing speed isn't near what it used to be. Uh, if you remember back in my track and field days, I could really go at the buttons, and, and I, I gave a lot of that up. By getting old. Stupid getting old. To be fair, you didn't give uh, it up. It was ripped from you. No one gives it up. You know, I decided to be slower at games. That's what you're saying. That's not how it works. You were, it was I taken guess that's from true. you. Your skill is diminished. But, but, uh, what I lost in ability, I, I definitely gained in wisdom. Because oh, I have enjoyed... I, no, I've enjoyed a wider spread of games than I ever did in my youth. Uh, I was all about fighting games and platformers and running guns and shooters. And I've really allowed myself to open up to games that are outside the norm. Uh, very story-driven games like uh, uh, the Telltale series of games that are barely games at all. They're really interactive stories, in my opinion. And also... Idle games, I've grown to appreciate like we did last week with Cookie Clicker. 
and uh, uh, have lost almost all love affair for sports games. Uh, and do you have any games there that you just don't, any types of games that you just don't play anymore? You mean stuff that I used to play a lot? Uh, yeah. I used to play stuff like your Civilizations. I would I would get into that. Or even your Command and Conquers, those type of games. But I, I don't know, I don't have the patience for them any, anymore. You know, I... Why do you think that is? I never was that patient for them, but I mean, there was a time when I played them because they were they were different, and unique. You know, I mean, I, I, I was with the I was on with the Team Speaker regulars last night. They've been playing this game. I don't even know the game of, but it's one of these games where you go out in the woods and you build castles. There's dinosaurs in it and stuff, and they're, they're oh, you're talking about Ark. Yeah, Ark. I guess there wouldn't be getting this game. Those games. Like, I couldn't play, like, EverQuest again or anything like that. I, I don't like crafting. I don't like building. I don't like gathering resources. I've kind of gone full circle back to my original roots of twitchy, like, spastic fun. Where I switch games a lot. I, li- I like uh, uh, keeping it fresh. You know, that's, that's sort of the way I do it. Uh, but in the old days, I could sit down... I mean, Paco mentioned last night, I was making fun of those guys. He's like, did you say you used to set your alarm... To get up to do this or that and EverQuest, and I did. There was a time I did yeah. that, you know. But I mean, I, the, it's those. That's like a whole other guy. Like those days are over, long over. So I would say those long involved games, I just don't get into as much as I used to, or at all. I I, I think it's uh, a bit ironic that you would mention that. I am just about. I believe today I'm going to jump into it, and if not today, definitely tomorrow, in Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, I know that's super super modern, super new game, but, of course, has a long lineage lineage of incredible uh, CRPGs where you're, it's really strategic, and you know combat's not fast and furious. It's very slow. It's very methodical. It's very thought out. Uh, and I'm hoping to get into Baldur's Gate 3, Aaron. And that game clocks in at 120 hours. Do you think you could go back and play a 120-hour game, even if you absolutely loved everything about it? Well, no. I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> you know, I think I was just thinking about how much you used to play EverQuest. And what really, I think what took care of this for me was City of Heroes, which gave me everything I wanted in EverQuest without a bunch of the crap I didn't want. You know, the uh, all the... I mean, you could do that stuff and see here's but I don't. I want action tonight, as the song says. I don't want to... I just don't like to linger around. I don't like to gather stuff. Like, I don't like building levels and stuff. I just don't... And I don't enjoy it. I like I liked, uh, high-score challenges, stuff like that. And I hear that Baldur's Gate might be pretty good, but I never liked any of the other Baldur's Gates, so I don't think, I, I don't think I'd get into this one. Not because well, they, they were bad games, they weren't my cup of tea. Sure, sure, and that and that's fine. And Aaron, let's see if this week's game is your cup of tea. Uh, do you have a preference on where we start? <clears throat> I I don't. I don't. We I, I, let's go ahead and start with the uh, the space one. I think might be the way to go. The space one, Aaron. Yeah. The space one. I believe you're referring to space bandits. That's right. Uh, space. Space Bandits, Aaron, there's a lot of history here, and there's things that we have to talk about before we talk about the game. Okay. Uh, Space Bandits is an exclusive for the TI-99-4A, and it was manufactured by Milton Bradley. Now, this is very important, 
Very important. Milton Bradley, a, a larger uh, company on the scene than I had ever thought before. Yeah. Uh, I thought they were – I mean, of course, they, they have their board game division. But I, I thought that's really all they had. When in actuality, Aaron, did you know they were ready to release a system to compete with the Atari 2600 uh, and ended up canceling that system because of the release of the ColecoVision? No, I'd never, I'd never heard that Milton Bradley was working on a system, I recall. Yes, and in fact, <clears throat> something that they made because of that is in line with what we're talking about today. They released something called the MBX. Now, Aaron, the MBX is an add-on for the TI-99-4A that adds a new controller area, a 360-degree control stick, and voice recognition. And it adds all of this to the the TI. No kidding. And no, yeah, yeah. And it required the games to be made for these add-ons, uh, but the games could be played without them as well. The interesting thing about this, though, Aaron, is the MBX was never designed to be an add-on. It was actually going to be its own console, and they had done all the R and D. They had everything ready to go they were they had uh they weren't i don't think they were to the prototyping stage yet uh but they had everything laid out to make this new system and then the coleco vision came out or and when that happened they said you know what the market is too crowded now we aren't going to be able to deal with four systems on the market we don't think that if we jump in now, we're going to have a chance. So they scrapped the whole thing. And when they scrapped it, a lot of that R&D, a lot of that research, a lot of that development went down the tubes because they had they were just going to walk away from it. And they approached or were approached. I'm not exactly sure which who came to who. But the TI-99 was a... New kid on the block, and they, well, new-ish, a couple years in at this point, and they wanted to adapt their console to work on this system, and that's what they did. And they took this thing to the uh, E3 of the time, and they said, hey, look, everybody, look what we're adding to the system. And there were lines, there were queues out the door hmm. to to preview this. And one of the people that previewed it worked on the Atari, worked with Atari for the 2600, and they said, listen, we love what you're doing here. They said, you know, we're not so interested in the joystick. We're not so interested in this keypad device that you can put overlays on. But that voice recognition, that's something special. We, you know, we let's see if we can work together. And ultimately, nothing ever came of it. The deal fell through. But when Atari released their own voice recognition... Milton Bradley sued them. Yeah, curious. That sounds just they, like Atari. <laughs> doesn't it? Well, doesn't the deal it? fell through. Hey, look what we did. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and, and they sued them. And, of course, like you said, that's a very Atari thing. 
So what came of this? Well, they released oh it was a it was not quite a dozen games. I think it was about ten games that used this add-on. Some things like uh, championship baseball was their big thing, and they also had championship football and tennis. They released Bigfoot, Green Muck, uh, Honey Hut, I'm Hiding, Mail Drop. List goes on and on. Like I said, it's about a dozen titles. And what they did was added this technology into Space Bandits. Now, Space Bandits is a very unique game. You have to imagine it like you're looking down into a hole. And where it, if you picture looking down into the hole with uh, cutouts where you'd have hands on a clock, numbers on a clock. And those would be rows going down into this pit. And then every so many sections, you can go around the hole as well. So it's a very layered system. And this was a maze game, Aaron, where you are uh, challenged to collect these red crystals and destroy the robots. And it was a shooter, sort of like, uh, I guess I would compare it to, say, like uh, Wizards of War. And the whole thing is, you know, the the farther into the game you go, the harder it gets. The more robots they put after you, the stronger the robots get. And when you shoot, you shoot in a straight line. Like if you're shooting down the tunnel, that looks kind of normal. But if you shoot to the left or right, it actually goes around yeah. this structure, this well that you're looking down into. So it can make for some very interesting shots. Plus, there's crystals you have to collect which makes it so you have to go down these levels, and you it's just, you know, there's no ladders, there's no stairs to climb or anything like that. It's just like you're flying into this this void, this weird space, and it's all it's very colorful, very blues. Uh, it has a lot of blues in it, <clears throat> and you have to battle to get these crystals and destroy all the robots, and you advance onto the next stage. Where the M, uh, where the, the add-on for this, the MBX add-on comes in, is in the game you have a shield and you can say shield and it will put a shielder on your guy that was an alternate way to activate the shield and this is not just any old noise will activate the microphone Aaron they actually have voice training every time you load up the game and you want to use the voice commands where it will put a word up on the screen <clears throat> and you'll say that word and it'll put up a word on the screen. You'll say the word. And it actually teaches the device, the computer, what word you're saying. I thought that was very, very uh, ahead of its time. Was this thing Voice released commands, to the public, this, this, this add-on? I mean, was it, this is out there? Yeah, absolutely. It was only on the market for about a year because in 1984, when all the other crap with the video game crash in North America happened... It got taken down as well. But there are, like I said, there's about a dozen games that support it, along with Space Bandit. Some are more supportive than others. Championship Baseball apparently has a ton of, of play with this because that's what it was designed specifically for it to, as a launch title to show what it can do. Uh, the joystick on it looks great. I would love to hold one. I would love to, because it's got this 360 
degree movement thing. Um, looks fantastic. The the add-on for it that sits beside your computer that's sort of like an extra keyboard, but not really an extra keyboard that can take the overlays looks amazing. But Aaron Space Bandits, a lot of people gave it gave it flack for being too easy. Did you think this game was too easy? No, it gets it. First of all, <laughs> just to talk about the game for a minute. Uh, this is a real unique game. Uh, I don't think I've ever played a game quite like it. Uh, I mean, the uh, the perspective, it's sort of like if you if you put a maze game in the old Tron Deadly Discs area. You know, I remember in that sure, game... Sort of, yeah. You know, uh, uh, it, the uh, uh, it's very... It's, it, this could have been marketed like a Tron game if you wanted to. You could have, you could have fooled with it. Uh, yeah. But uh, uh, the, the look of it is something unique. Uh, and I've got to say the TI continues to impress because, uh, you know, you're going down this, uh, you're playing in this hallway maze thing, and it's very interesting. The fact that your shots wrap around, you're, you're, you'll shoot yourself as often as you'll shoot the bad guys if you're not careful, because yeah. if you, if you shoot, take off running, your shot can hit you. And so, and then also when you kill a, a, a bad guy, their essence sort of lingers around for a, a little while. If you run into that, you die. You know, yeah, so it's, 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 pretty it's like an acid mist. And then, uh, on top of everything else, you have to collect the collect the diamonds or the gems, which is cool. And then, the, when your guy gets killed, by the way, your guy looks cool. They did a great job rendering your guy. The he, scaling. He does you actually look get like the the guy from Wizard of War. You're not wrong. I hadn't yeah. thought about that. I mean, especially when he's going sideways. He looks a lot yeah. like the guy from Wizard of War. When you when you get killed, your guy because you're playing effectively. Well, from what I can figure out here, it's almost like your guy has on like magnetic boots, and you're staring down like a a, a gravity well or something. And when he gets killed, he he spins or flies off and scales down into the void. It's an awesome effect, frankly. Yes, I mean I was like, man, this is really cool. Uh, it also has support for the voice module, so it talks, which is cool. Uh, yes. Uh, I'll, and TI's voice module is really good. Really, it's really good. It's probably one of the best. Is it the best one? Maybe. It's one of the best ones I ever heard. You know, yeah. I think it's, it's really good. But this is a this is a pretty fun game. Now, difficulty-wise, it ramps up considerably about level 5. Where yes, I, like, that's I agree. where Because I, I could get there pretty consistently. And then it was Daniel was real tough because there's just so many bogeys and there's so much to watch out for because when the aliens start shooting, their shots will wrap around the screen too. Yes, know, which is a which is a wacky uh, situation. And sometimes you can get yourself in trouble because you'll have killed two aliens on either side of you, and all you can do is sit there helplessly and watch the one of their shots come banking around the turn. You know now, Aaron. I, there is an aspect of this game I bet you did not know. What's that? If you get into a situation like that, you can actually beam up to the mothership. No, I didn't know that. No. And it, it, it resets the board. Any gems that you've collected, you lose. But you don't lose a life. And you effectively start the board over. You can only... There's a, there's a limit to how often you can do it uh, based on the bar or something. I... I I struggled with it, just like I bet you didn't know there was a shield button. I, I did know that, just because I, okay. I was spoiled with the controls. So, yeah, I knew that one. You know, this game could have had, and maybe, I don't know how far you got into it. I think the highest I ever got was level 7. 
I think. I, that's like, about where six. I was getting. <clears throat> I, I think five is when you you really got to start playing. It would have yeah. been awesome. This game lends itself to having like a big boss fight in between levels. You know what I'm saying? The way it looks to let you shoot down into that void. Because normally the only thing that's down there is when your ship comes out, like drops you off and it leaves. You right. Know? But this is a... I, I was sort of surprised too. It's not like I've played a lot of Milton Bradley video games. But man, they just went out... They just went and cranked one out here on the TI. Another unique, unusual game. Uh, is this yes. as good as the as your mind game? I, I don't think it is. It's because... That mind game you, you pit foul was really good. <clears throat> I can't remember the name of it, uh, but this is this is in the ballpark just because it's so unique. And it, you know, this goes to show you you can take the concept of a, of a Wizard of War or something like that, a maze shooting game, and if you're clever enough to come up with something, you can really make it your own. And they did; they really did a good job on this. I was real impressed, man. I think what really caught me caught my eye on this was the uh, primitive scaling. Yeah, and, and while it is primitive, it's also incredibly impressive for the hardware that it's on. I mean, when you walk down the hall, and your guy gets smaller, it's a it's a nice transition. There's several stages of it. It's not just one one big, one small. All of the aliens that are uh, patrolling the maze, which are actually they're not aliens, they're robots. Uh, they all have the scaling effect too yeah. when you fall into the hole when you die uh it had that's a great scaling effect that's what really impressed me with this that's what really caught my eye to begin with but the more i read about it the more i found out about it, the more i played it i really think this is a standout i am excited uh to explore some of the other milton bradley games if this is the quality that we get to keep throughout those we're in for a good treat. You know, the funny thing about this one is, like, when I was looking around for footage and stuff, like, there is practically zero footage. that I can yeah. find two small, short videos on on the gameplay of it. Uh, and uh, and one, one small review. And that was it. And I'm like, man, this game, I'm surprised this game, but I think T.I., when T.I. ultimately was vanquished during the computer wars, I don't think I think people just stopped caring about TI and and the funny thing is well, as a kid I never gave TI I never give TI any any love like and and yeah. I I got to play it my buddy had one but I thought to myself man this isn't as good as the Coco this thing uh, it, the games are no good you know and I remember thinking what a dud machine this is it's funny to look back you know decades and decades later newsflash. This thing is a boss. I mean, this thing yes. has, so far, I've played some really awesome games on the TI and some real original stuff. You know, good-looking, yes. attractive games that uh, I've been real impressed with. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to uh, to uh, dive back into the TI for another gem. I don't know how many more of these you're going to find uh, on there, but man, I mean, that, so far, the T.I. has really, and even when we did our T.I. episode, that very first one, uh, which, which I think that was the very first episode we ever streamed live, uh, but uh, that we found a couple of gems on that episode yes. that were good. You know, yep. they, they were more well-known, so the T.I. Yeah, I keep thinking it's tapped out, and there, it keeps giving mm, us something more. I love that it. right. This, Aaron, originally sold, and, and this is probably... This is probably one of the reasons why uh, Milton Bradley aren't in games anymore. 
This had a $50 price tag in 1983. Yeah, that's big. $50. Yeah. Insanity. Insanity. (laughs) Yeah, that's too much. What did Discord have to say about this one, Aaron? We did get a couple looks at this one. Uh, Let's start out with our our buddy and perennial reviewer, Pajaco6502, who writes, This is one of those games where I instantly love the concept. It's basically space robot Pac-Man, packet heat, and he can walk on the floors, walls, and the ceilings because in space it don't matter. Enemies you shoot leave behind something that, uh, that kill you, so you really need to plan your shots for that. And because if you miss, your shot can come right back around and kill you as well. Everything in this game should uh, should have put this right up there. But sadly, uh, there were too many frustrating things that let the game down. Imprecise sprite collision, which is affected by faux depth, so you can be killed by an object you're not touching. The movement around the maze is a little clunky. I tried to compensate for it, but I just couldn't. And you can't outrun enemy shots, so if one pops up a bullet too close to you, it's certain death. I made it to level 4 on several attempts, and at one point, there were like 8 baddies on the screen shooting at you and getting in your way. And it's here where the whole maze movement sprite collision issue comes into play. The game really ramps up difficulty quite quickly, and it's almost like they were design, designing an arcade coin muncher. I think the concept has, <laughs> has legs, and I would love to see a modern remake of this, but this version needs a little polish, 6 out of 10. Uh, we also, I, I think that's a little harsh. Well, I really do. I also wonder if he knew about the other things that uh, that in the game that help on that stuff. Uh, I didn't think the I didn't think the pick the the collision was that bad. Uh, JR, it was a little wonky. I mean the 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 acid mist that was left or left behind. It was a little wonky. Right, but once you understand the rules of the game and how close you can get to stuff, I didn't have that much. Don't trouble. get close to that at all. Right. Yeah, that's pretty much what you have to do. Jr. Mobley chimes in. Space Bandits has a very striking look. And the 3D maze wants to be a lot of fun, but the wonky controls and cheap shot hit detection sucker you to your death just all the dang time. I give it the Cisco and Ebert split decision of uh, uh, ambivalence, uh, thumb, one thumb up and one thumb down. <laughs> so uh, that's, we're getting into a whole freaky deaky area there when it comes to reviews. <laughs> I thought it was a, honestly, I thought it was a pretty good game. In fact, I think it was. Yeah. I, I would go beyond pretty good. I mean, this is this is a strong B plus title, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I would agree. And I think there are is room. I mean, they weren't wrong. You could take this concept and do some interesting stuff with it, uh, including hey, listen, we're already on the Wizard of War kick. Stick another player in there, two players simultaneous. Oh man, that'd be nuts. You know, that's one of the best things of Wizard of War is getting your buddy in there. Uh, and you're right, the controls are... The, the maze takes of getting used to when it comes to rounded corners and stuff. This stuff could be ironed out a little bit if you were to fool with it. But, I mean, in its current polish. state... In its current state, I think it's a pretty good game. I think it's a pretty good Oh, I think it's game. fantastic, I, think, yeah. I really enjoyed that one, the Brent. Now, Aaron, I want to move on to my second game. No game choice for you. Yeah. And I want to talk about a little, a little company called Imagisoft. Now, this right. is I-M-A-G-I soft, uh, not to be confused with the Sony counterpart. This, Aaron, was a, a, a software development company that you will be amazed is still around today. Nice. Okay, I am uh, amazed. <clears throat> they, they started back in the uh, early 90s, early, early 90s. 
with with uh, uh, offerings such as movies to go um, and the color wizard which is a a coloring book that you can that you software can color. coloring book yeah uh, they also mm. released Chinese checkers uh, worry the ancient game of Africa which is uh, a, a I guess a, a old board game played predominantly in Africa. And the title we're looking at today, today, Aaron, Red Hook's Revenge. Yes. Now, you'll, you might notice, outside of the movies to go and the color wizard, uh, the other three offerings that they have in their game library are all board games. Uh, and Red Hook's Revenge is a board game. And I want to get to that, but I want to talk just a little bit about <clears throat> the company before we go into it, the game itself. This was a company that tried their hand at gaming, and it, it, did it work out? Did it not work out? It's really impossible to say. There's no sales numbers for this kind of crap. But what they did was they pivoted, and uh, the founder of the company, Michael J. Prestwich, didn't have his start in gaming. He is actually a life insert life insurance agent <laughs> okay and a uh producer trainer and what what does that this mean? software company uh, a producer trainer but what when you produce a good movie they give you a little piece of meat or cheese and, or, and if you do it bad <laughs> tell they hit you with a stick bad bad producer well what he he did aaron was he saw a hole in the software market sure they had some games when they first started out, but they saw a hole in in the market that wasn't being filled. And that hole, Aaron, was software to do with insurance, particularly life insurance. Uh-huh. And I think it, it's more of the behind-the-scenes aspect of the software. Yeah. Um, but he, you know... Th- he didn't just make one. He made several of these softwares, sold them, and did really well. You, His website, still up, if you want to take a look at it. It's at magisoft.com. And one thing you'll notice if you go there, I mean, it talks about the current software for uh, things like insurance or budgeting software for your home or uh, stuff like support documents for life insurance and that kind of thing. But what you won't find on there is any links or even mention of his gaming, the gaming side of this software house. And you have to actually type in manually, you know, slash games. And when you do that, you are presented with the the, the games that they released for DOS, and you can download these for free. All his games were released... As shareware, uh, Red Hook's Revenge was twenty dollars, and what you got over the shareware version from the retail version was a few extra characters you can play as and a whole lot more questions. So that, it was that explains a lot because I feverishly looked for a, a box for this thing. No I looked box everywhere for a box. So I wish I'd had you told me that earlier. It's <laughs> I spent hours searching in vain <laughs> for a box for the game. Yep. <laughs> to to, because uh, I also searched. I also searched, did not find one. 
Uh, this, Aaron, did, however, get a magazine review. A magazine called PC's PC Answers Magazine had this to say about the game. Red Hook's Revenge. It's so addictive, we reckon you're going to be up till all hours playing this excellent adventure game set on the high seas. A perfect escape. So what is this perfect escape that we are going to be taking a look at, Aaron? It is, at its core, a board game. And it's a board game based around pirates. But it's also an educational game. But it's an educational game about pirates. Yeah. So it's a very weird mesh. Well, there's also very... some geography in there. There and, is and a little so bit of geography. There, there's some only loosely connected pirate history and stuff in there. You know, so there, like, it's not totally about... Like, there's some stuff about different types of currency. <laughs> You know, it's about pirates. Well, for the most uh, part, when you you actually pick a pirate to play when you start up the game, if you have the full version, which I, uh, like I said, freely available on the website now, if you know how to find yeah, it. Yeah, I'll play. I'll play the one where you only have three guys to pick from. I didn't get to pick the other okay, one. well, it's the same basic bear, homie. So you pick from either one of four pirates, or a parrot, a pirate parrot, and uh, if you pick. Blackbeard, he actually has voice-acted speech lines. And it's actually really good. The voice in this game, I mean, it's the 90s, so you expect it, but voice acting on a little project like this, they could have definitely phoned it in. I mean, they he's the only one voiced, so make of that as you will. But you play a board game where you roll a die, and you sail your ship... In a mostly linear path. And whatever square you land on, an event will happen. It might be something where you find a bundle of cloth. Or you have the chance to purchase extra cannons. Or you uh, might come across the port or a city. And you're gonna, you can choose to attack the city or not attack the city. Or... You can get a trivia question. A trivia question about pirates. And some of these are insanely hard trivia. Some of it's easy, but most of it, in my opinion, is insanely hard trivia about pirates. That if I did not have Google, I would have never gotten any of them you right. You cheated at the game? Oh, yeah. That I is mean, weak. One of, my, one of my playthroughs. I played this multiple times. Multiple times. And the, the trivia questions are presented as multiple choice. So it gives you a question, it gives you four choices, and you try to figure out which one it is. Uh, you choose how many other human players or computer players you want to play against from one to four. And if the two ships ever end up on the same square, whoever init- whoever rolls into that square chooses whether they want to fight the other guy. And combat in this is complicated until you understand what it is. For every cannon your ship has, you get one six-sided die. <clears throat> so if someone has two cannon, two cannons, they get two dies. Next guy has five cannons, he gets five dies. The people roll their dies, and you compare highest numbers. So if the guy with two cannons rolls a six and a two... And the guy with five cannons 
rolls a five three one one one, right? You only count the number of dice versus the lowest cannon amount. I know it's confusing, but it's not. So if you one person has two cannons, you're only looking at the top two die. And you compare those dice with each other. And if you have the higher number, you win. If there's a tie, the attacker wins. So did you understand combat when you played, Aaron? Oh, yeah, I didn't trouble. I've played games okay, like good, this in real good. life, sort of like that. Yeah, yeah. Some, people have, some people really struggle. I was reading some reviews online. They just didn't understand how combat worked. And uh, depending on how well you beat your opponent, whether it be another ship <clears throat> or a fort, is how much goods or gold you get. And that's the whole point of the game. Have the most money when you get to the end of the board into the Pirate's Cove. The events on this are fun. They're humorous. They try to keep a humor about the game. Um, they try to be informative. They try to be give you pirate facts that uh, are interesting. They talk about you know who sailed where, uh, what the names of their ships were, uh, what their primary goal as a pirate was, you know, if they were attacking merchant ships or if they were attacking forts and that sort of thing. And there are also extra supplies that you can get during your journey. Uh, for example, uh, cloth, if you have an extra canvas and an event says that your sail breaks, well, normally you would lose a turn, but if you have a spare sail, you don't lose a turn. You just use that and go on. What's very funny, Aaron, and it all ties together with what I was talking about before, the other thing you can get is an insurance card. Yeah. And yeah. if you have the insurance card, you can negate any bad thing that happens to you for and spend your insurance card. So he, he still took his insurance past, present, and future, and injected it into this pirate game. I yeah. thought that was very fun. It was, I thought that I, I was very clever. That. I thought, well, that's kind of neat that pirates can have insurance. You know? <laughs> yeah. when, not when not a real thing. <laughs> yeah, when your sail falls off or something, you can, you, can, you can get in there. So, you play through the game, and you have these <clears throat> events. Every once in a while, you'll have a, a fork in the road where you can take path one or path two, but they all join up. It's usually just, do you want to go around an island to the left or go around to the right? Might have more spaces one, uh, going one way. Might be able to attack a fort if you go the other way, that sort of thing. But you can't see the spaces. You can't know the events ahead of time. So you're kind of playing on a blind board. And when you move to the space, it's revealed what happens. Now, the boards are static for the most part. Uh, if you go to a port, it's always going to be you can battle a port. If you land on a square, if someone comes up behind you and lands on that square, they get the exact same event that you got. So it's kind of weird in that way. You can't see what's coming up, but it's always the same. Uh, there are multiple maps. From my experience, the only way to play on, a, on the next map is to play a full game, play again, and then it'll pay, take you to the second map. Yeah, I didn't know there were multiple uh, maps. I never saw another one. <clears throat> there are 
about 50 to 60 questions, I think. Um, and it doesn't tell you the answer if you get it wrong. So you could actually get a question wrong multiple times before you figure out the right answer. Which I kind of like because that's kind of at the heart of this game. Did you like playing uh, this game? I know you have a board game history much like myself. Uh, what did you think of going through this pirate adventure? I've done. I've played a few of these like old DOS board games. I think Jack Flack uh, turned me on the one uh, uh, on a Sprite Castle or some or one of his streams a while back. Uh, so when this came up, I was I was like, let's see what we got here. Well, it turns out you got a pretty good game. I, I really actually enjoyed this quite a bit. Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. The uh, it's weird to, to move around the board that doesn't have any squares, so you can't really tell exactly. Uh, exactly how far you're going to go when you hit the button. The computer takes care of all the movement and stuff, so it doesn't really matter, I don't guess. I like the fact that the map scrolls over, because it looks like you've got a pretty small playfield, but you don't. It's a pretty good-sized playfield. and yeah, they do, it's about a 20 to 30 minute game when you play. They do keep it loose and fun. You know, I mean, sometimes you're, uh, I mean, you can flat-out go and attack ports, you know, and if you've got more cannons than them and you can take them, you go, you, you go in there and basically loot a port. It doesn't say, like, hey, your pirates raped and pillaged this port and burned it. They don't say that. They just say, like, oh, you got this much money. Sounds yeah. pretty... They've cleaned it up quite a bit. Wholesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny when you run into other players at sea. You wouldn't think it would happen, but it happened to me occasionally when I would play. And a lot of times I'd be like, I didn't want to fight, but the, uh, I would end up having to fight because he'd run into me. And so, But it is gratifying. It's really, It's not a huge penalty to lose. You just lose money. Uh, but uh, there are other things that are worse, like losing turns. Uh, or another thing you can do is run out of food. And, you know, that happens. Uh, so you've got to sort of keep track of how much food. You've got, like, an inventory screen that tells you everything that's in your hull, you know? Like, how much food you've got. Do you have a map? Do you have cotton? This stuff sounds stupid, but they, you get the cotton bells. If you get leaks in the boat, you can, you can patch them. So basically, you're picking up things at some points that will help you at other points, you know. Maybe well, if yeah, you get that if event. You get that event, uh, and of course, stuff like cannons you can always use can or water stuff like that. But yeah, there are things that happen that would never have happened to a real pirate, like Moby Dick swallowing your anchor, for example, and carrying you six extra spaces. Uh, but it's fun. It's just, I mean, this could easily have been just any board game. I mean, they did enough research, and it, I thought it translates real well. The uh, the uh, menu screens are real easy to navigate. You can have a, a human player uh, or auto, which basically, I, assumably, means if you've got some other human players, it'll just automatically give them, make them computer players. Um, the whole thing is sort of hosted by Red Hook, so he'll chime in uh, and badmouth you or praise you, depending on what you do, you know. There are some areas where you just ask you a question. You have to, are we going to do this or that? Which is right. Yeah, if you're, it, how you're going to discipline a crew member, for yeah. example. Are you going to make him walk the plank or or make him scrub the floors or not do anything? Right. And yeah. Some, and those have ramifications. Uh, you ne As far as I can tell, your ship never could get, like, sank. But it could be, no. it could be you know, hurt, you know. And at the end of the game, you go down sort of a, a line of, of places you can maraud. You know, before ultimately getting back to, like, Hidden Pirate Island and counting yeah. your booty. You know, and then whoever has the most jack wins. I never lost a game of this. So I, I felt like I did pretty good. I knew just enough to, to be dangerous about pirates. 
You know, so I I knew a little bit about it. So I, I answered a lot of questions right. Sometimes I got a couple good guesses. I knew which side of the boat was which. That helped. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, the, <laughs> I like the sound effects. This were cute. I mean, it's it's ad libby sounding music as you would expect. It's you know it's ninety three, uh, <clears throat> but uh, it was nice. I thought everything was jaunty uh, and fun. I thought it was a real fun game. And the the number one thing that I liked about it is that it moved along and functioned like something that someone actually knew what they were doing when they made. There's no weird things. I didn't have anything weird happen. I didn't have any sort of uh, like. I didn't get stuck in any menus like that. I mean, everything went like it should. It was a good, solid effort. Yeah, it was well programmed. It's got good graphics for what they are, you know. Oh yeah, I, I agree. I like it. I thought this was a real fun game. I can see me and the Luke playing this one because he would, he'd probably dig this kind of game. It's not. I mean, if you're a seasoned board gamer, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna take and play this. You know, over something like Puerto Rico, for example. But I mean, it's I mean, this is sort of like a st- somewhere in the neighborhood of like a can like well, it's a step up from Candyland. But you know, you no, roll, it's not. You roll the dice, and, and you have. And here's candy, my and problem candy, with the game. Trivia or anything. Here's There's my a lot problem of randomness with the game. To it. Yeah, here's my problem with the game. Getting to the end of the game first means nothing. Yeah. Uh. Now, if you land on a port that's already been pillaged fully, that you won't, you can't pillage them. They have no more, no more money to pillage. So being out in front does have that as an advantage if you get the dice roll. Otherwise, this is Candyland. Uh, you go on a path. What happens happens. Yes, you can make the right decisions on trivia questions. Yes, you can uh, choose to discipline your crew in a way that is a bonus to you. Uh, yes, you can stay stocked up on food and water and rum, because if you uh-huh. don't, paying for it, uh, because the game says you ran out, you had to buy emergency stocks, you lose X amount of money. That Having that happen costs more than if you were just to buy the supplies. However... To buy those supplies, you have to land on a random square to allow you to buy those supplies. And that's my problem with the game. I and, and, and I say problem because I'm looking at it as someone who plays very advanced board games. Uh, and stepping down this level, you really have to turn the brain off. Doesn't mean it's a bad game. By no means. And I had good stupid fun playing this but as a board game critique everything just happens your input means very little losing a turn which is the main punishment of the game means almost nothing almost nothing um you should always attack even if you only have one cannon it doesn't matter because losing you lose a turn who cares the the benefits of winning far outreach the consequences of losing. So that kind of sucks once you figure that out. I mean, you lost, and I don't know if you figured that out or not, or never lost, and you, I don't know if you figured that out or not, but once you figure that out, the game comes, you know, just roll the dice, see what happens. It is what it is. You, you know, there's so little effect that you have. That said... 
the game has enough charm. The game has enough quirks, humor, uh, uh, insight into pirate life that you can still play this and have an okay time. And if you're playing this with a a, a younger child, a preteen, uh, who maybe likes pirates or just wants to play a board game, this is quick and simple and easy. You win or you win. You win or you lose. It doesn't matter. You just go on with life. Kind of like that about this. But as a board game critique, it's not very good. So that was my problem with, with the game. And I'm not going to really... I don't hold that against the game. Because <clears throat> most people aren't going to be looking for a big, serious, you know, deep board game. And, and this certainly is not that. But for a fun afternoon, especially for the price of free, the, you, this is about as good as you can do. Well, I, you know, sometimes it's fun to step back and just play a simple game. You know, and that's what I liked about it. It's a simple game. Yeah, I mean, we're going to hold this up against modern, advanced board games. Yes, it's very simple. But, I mean, it's just fun. Lighthearted, fun romp. I, I enjoyed my time playing it. I had a good time with it. Well, and what I most appreciated with this is we actually uh, played this uh, on McCall's stream. I didn't play it. McCall played it. I was in chat. And it was the streamer versus chat in a head-to-head battle where if there were any decisions that needed to be made, chat would vote on the decision. Uh, And, of course, the streamer did his own thing. And it was just tremendous fun. It was tremendous fun because bad things kept happening to the streamer, and we could all laugh about it, or we could argue about why a decision was a bad decision in chat. It was fun. It was tremendous fun. Um, and if you go in with that kind of mindset, it, it's awesome. What did our Discord have to say about this, Aaron? To get a review here, our buddy Pajaco chimed back in. He says... I only had time to play one game, so I'm not an expert, but this appears to be a really fun educational board game that anyone can play. It has a good mix of fate, pushing your luck, knowledge, and humor. This feels like a little like Oregon Trail meets Defender of the Crown. Graphics yeah. and sound for an old DOS game were pretty good. It's quite good in that it doesn't give you answers each time a player gets it wrong, so you'll not be cheating that way. The only thing I would change is that it's not easy to know where the spaces are on the board, so you don't really know where you'll end up, and maybe a chance uh, to battle the other players and steal some booty, which in fact that he probably just didn't have a, another player land on him. Definitely one to play with people, and if it's not uh, if it's not already one that would make a fun real board game, definitely stick this in your DOS box setup. Eight out of ten. I should mention, by the way, if you've got the uh, uh, tremendous package ExoDOS. This is this is uh, the the shareware version. This is in, is part of ExoDOS as well. So you can download the game from that website Brent mentioned, or you can just uh, play it in ExoDOS, uh, and it runs perfectly fine. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I think this is uh, a lot of fun. I agree that Pajaka had mentioned in chat that at the end, when you're playing the computer, you have to set back and just watch the computer finish up. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I wish there was a way to like lightning around that. But uh, and it, plus, once you finish, when the computer gets a lose a turn, so it doesn't matter. It's just so yeah. There are so it's not the perfect board game, but I mean it was a fun, like light, 
uh, chance to get your pirate on. And you know me. And the one I, thing I couldn't I, do for this game was pirate the game since it was free. Yeah. It was a one letdown. Yeah, that's, that's it. Uh, you know, I, I I love the the story behind the company. You know, who made these DOS games, and now they're making uh, uh, insurance software. I it always warms my heart. Now, of course, I would have loved them to stick with gaming, of course, right? Yeah. But it always warms my heart to find these old companies, you know, 20, 30 years down the line, are still around. Yeah. Uh, every time that happens, it feels good. You know what? Feels good. You know what warms my heart and makes me feel good, Brand? What's that? It's the wheel, brother. Let's get into it. Oh, how does it feel here to have the power of the wheel? It feels good. It feels real good. Let me stretch this sucker in in, in view here. Oh, gosh, three house of wheel. So, we added this week, uh, for the Retro Rewind piece, I stuck on sports soccer. Uh, We uh, we haven't done that one for a while. And then, as the new piece, uh, we've got, where was that crazy piece? It's the Lynx by Camputers. I haven't even heard of this thing, but Camputers. Let's spin this sucker. Here we go, everybody. Uh! Looks like a good spin. A good hearty spin. And the winner is... Games you can't win. <laughs> games you can't win. These are games that can't be beaten, Brent. Who, who, who submitted that piece That there? was from Pajaco. Uh, 6502, these are games you can't win. Now, how's that going to work, Brent? Because, I mean, for example, you're not going to win at, like, say, Galaga. Are no, these no, games no. that break? These are games that are fundamentally broken in some way that they cannot be completed. They okay. should be able to be completed, but they cannot I've be completed. I've already got one in mind, so this should, I think I've got one I can play right away. Hey, listen, before we take this thing to the house, uh, I want to uh, do a quick plug for BAM. The International Computer Club. Look at that cool new Ooh, logo, nice logo. designed in the Discord. It's a beauty, and I put it right up in here. Uh, we are just a few weeks away from International Computer Club, Brent, which will be taking place at 5 o'clock Saturday, September 2, uh, 2023. Uh, we've got about seven people signed up to give uh, some sort of demonstration. I'm sure we'll get a couple late editions before it's all said and done. So if you're interested in joining us, uh, for this free public event, International Computer Club, just h- hook up. If you want to watch, hook us up on Twitch. Same channel you're on now at 5 p.m. Saturday, September 2nd. If you're interested in joining, you can head over to a Discord group called International Computer Club. Sign the uh, sign-up sheet. And if you're not a member of Discord but are still interested in joining, drop me a note at argpresents at mail.com. Thank you very much. Brent, anything you want to say or plug before we uh, take this thing to the house? Nope. Alrighty, we'll see you guys next week for games that you can't win. Until then, try to win at life, brother. Adios. (laughs)